Well, good morning. Uh, as Essen mentioned, um, uh, I'm Ed Dunnington. I want to thank uh, the elders and Essen for um, giving me the opportunity uh, to be with you in worship and to um, bring God's Word this morning. Uh, it's been eight, almost eight years since I've been uh, with you in worship and, um, and been able to preach here and so it's a delight for me to, to be back uh, with you all. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to invite that you would grab it and turn with me to Hebrews uh, chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 4 through uh, 10 this morning. And as you turn there, uh, you know, men- uh, Essen mentioned that I uh, have uh, served one of our denominations, committees, or agencies. And a lot of folks kind of ask, have asked me uh, on more than one occasion, what, what exactly do you guys do? Um, and, uh, and why, as a minister, are you doing it? Um, but, uh, but in 2015, I left the church that I was serving to be uh, serve at that time. It was PCA Retirement Benefits, and now it's Geneva Benefits Group. And our responsibility really is to provide um, kind of employee benefits to pastors and church staff and their families, as well as we run a relief fund that serves to uh, care for the financial needs of our retired pastors, missionaries, and their widows. So um, I ended up in this in part because in uh, 12 years ago now, a report came out that said that in 2035, we as a denomination will be spending $5 million a year uh, to keep our retired pastors, missionaries, and their widows out of poverty. Um, and so... Part of our work is that, as well as the the present. Um, And I will tell you that I've been there uh, eight years, and the Lord has been so gracious. I love what I get to do to serve our church and um, to serve your staff and to serve uh, our retired pastors and their widows. It's a blessing. So thank you um, for uh, allowing me to be with you this weekend and to bring God's Word. So as a congregation, you all have been going through uh, the book of Hebrews. And, and up to this point, uh, Essen has reminded all of us and you that, that you've got a greater helper in Christ. You, he's a provides a, a better home, a greater home, a, a greater rest, a, a greater grace. And, uh, and then last week, he highlighted the fact that he is a greater priest. And, uh, and as we talked about this, uh, this passage, he said, you know, I I said, I, I was going to kind of spend some time on the greater priest. And he's like, oh, that's okay. You get Melchizedek. Like, like that was a bonus. Um, but, you know, uh, he underestimated my ability to, to dodge. And, uh, and, um, and so uh, I've, I'm, I'm going to reference Melchizedek because he's mentioned in the text. But, <clears throat> but the author of Hebrews mentions Melchizedek here in chapter 5 to whet your appetite for chapter 7. So, um, so Essen gets to unpack Melchizedek for you when he gets to chapter 7. Uh, and I'm thrilled. I can't wait to listen to that online uh, and, and hear what he has to say. But, uh, but, but in this text, uh, the, the author of, of Hebrews does mention Melchizedek. And, and he intends to, to bring together several different streams that he has been, kind of different threads that he's been running through the book of Hebrews. And um, I love the way that we began this service because it, it alludes to uh, those two streams. And he brings this, this kingly and this priestly thread together here in Hebrews chapter 5. And, and the question for us as we come to it is, 
why does that matter for you and me that, that somehow Jesus might be this king and this priest for us? And, um, and I think that the author of Hebrews wants us not to miss the, the power and the significance of those truths in our text this morning. So if you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me and I'm going to read God's word and, and then I'll pray for our time in it. So hear now God's holy and inspired word beginning in verse 4 of chapter 5 of Hebrews. We read this, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's go to the Lord and pray one more time. Father, we, we do thank you for your word. And we ask now that you would use your word uh, to do its work and its will in us. Several weeks ago, um, Essen reminded us that the Word is sharper than a double-edged sword from Hebrews. And so, Father, we pray that You would wield it in our hearts and in our lives to make us conform more and more to the image of Your Son. Father, I pray that You be in my thoughts and on my tongue, that You be in my heart and on my lips, that the words I speak this morning would be Your truth for the glory of Christ and for the building up of Your church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. I'm not sure whether um, or not you have ever had the experience of being appointed to something. Um, if you are uh, of the age where your parents have passed away, uh, you may have had the conversation or entered into a discussion of, so who's going to be appointed the executor of our parents' estate. A number of years ago, uh, I found myself in that kind of conversation with my own siblings. And it was interesting, uh, I realized, you know, we didn't get to just appoint a, uh, an executor for my mother's estate. Uh, the, the state had to appoint, right? My, my, my sisters and I couldn't kind of sit down and be like, uh, who wants to do this? Okay, I'll do this. Uh, and, and then go in and start closing bank accounts and, and dealing with, with uh, my mom's estate. No, no. One person had to be appointed as the executor. Actually, technically, you can have more than one executor, but it's best if you have one, right? And without the paperwork that said that you were the executor, you had absolutely no power to do anything, right? But with that sheet of paper, right, you walk in the bank and say, I need to close the, the, the account. They say, well, you know, we need paperwork. I got the paperwork. I've been appointed. I've been appointed by another to do this work. 
or even for uh, high school students that are uh, wanting to go to one of the service academies, uh, when they uh, get their nomination from a congressman or a senator or president or vice president, they have to wait until uh, that service academy grants them an appointment. They can't just show up and say, well, the senator said I could come. That's insufficient, right? They had to receive an appointment. To be appointed isn't something that you get to name for yourself. It has to come from outside of us. Which is what the author of Hebrews is driving at in this text. He's making the case that that Jesus, like Aaron before him, didn't appoint himself to his office, but someone else appointed him to it. We see that in the text when it says in verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him. So, he he wasn't simply um, choosing on his own to do this, but somebody other than him appointed him. I mentioned that that in... uh, Hebrews, the author is bringing together two themes or streams of understanding. And the first is that that Christ is our eternal King. We saw that in in Hebrews 1.5 when you guys were back there early on. And and there was a reference to Psalm 2, which is called a Messianic Psalm. And and it's quoted here, Psalm 2, verse 7, is the quote in verse 6. See, the, the author of Hebrews even uses... Jesus' messianic title is Christ to make the point in verse 5. No, no, he doesn't want us to miss this. That Jesus has been appointed by God when it says, by him who said, right? The author of Hebrews is building on all these great understandings. It's quite amazing. Remember, the word of God is God's word. So when he says it, he appoints. He is appointing Jesus to be the eternal king. But he's not just the eternal king from chapter 1. He's also the eternal priest. And that's when he quotes Psalm 110. A psalm actually that that will be uh, pop up uh, from here through chapter 7 as you unpack Melchizedek uh, uh, at least um, half a dozen times. And so what what the author is doing is saying, I want you to see brothers and sisters, that that Jesus is this eternal king. He has no beginning. His his kingdom has no beginning. It has no end. It is an eternal kingdom that he rules and reigns. And he is a priest that has no beginning and has no end. Now, in order to understand that, we we do need to take a little dive into Melchizedek. Melchizedek is is a character who, who shows up on the scene in Genesis 14 as mysteriously as he departs. In Genesis 14, uh, uh, Abram has just rescued Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah, and and then after that experience, we're told that uh, Melchizedek appears, kind of shows up, and we're told that Melchizedek is the, the king of Salem and a priest of the Most High. You see the threads being woven together? Salem was, is uh, Jerusalem. And, and, and what, what the author of Hebrews is connecting is, look, this idea that he's the eternal king and the eternal priest isn't new to me. 
It was introduced in Genesis 14. And I'm picking up on that theme so that you might understand and appreciate the, the, the richness and the depth of Christ's office. That He's been appointed to be eternal king and eternal priest. So, so that's what we see in this text. And, and, and in that passage in Genesis 14, Melchizedek gives Abram a blessing. Abram gives him a tenth of what he has, a tithe. And then Melchizedek disappears as quickly as he appeared. And if you read through the Bible, you think, what, what just happened? Well, fortunately, Essen's going to address that for you in a couple weeks, and so I, well, I don't want to steal his thunder. Um, right. But it is laying this foundation, this understanding that no, there, there is this greater priesthood that, that transcends Aaron's priesthood, that, that began before Aaron's priesthood, and will go on beyond Aaron's priesthood. And the author of Hebrews is saying, that's Jesus. His kingdom has no end and His priesthood has no end. Now, it's one thing to get appointed to something, but it's an entirely different thing to actually execute one's appointment. What do I mean? Hey, look, you can get appointed to be the executor of an estate but if you don't do anything, the estate never gets settled. And the government is happy to charge you for that. <laughs> you must actually right, engage in and, and actually do what the appointment requires. Which is what? Hebrews is all about. He's trying to make the case that don't you see that Jesus has come and is the eternal king who rules and reigns all things? Right? He is sufficient to rule and reign you and me and, and is eternal priest. He alone is the one who can come into the presence of the Father for once and for all and be the substitute for his people to give himself as the Lamb of God who is slain for the forgiveness for the sins of the world. That then he can cry out, it is finished on the cross. And his priestly function is fulfilled. And then he's exalted right, in his ascension. And is seated at the right hand, as we, as we said in our Apostles' Creed. That, that he rules and reigns. That, that he is the one who's fulfilled the appointment. He has, he has accomplished what he has been appointed to. And he's done it through his obedience to the Father. And because of that, because of his fulfillment of that office, and him willingly paying our debt, that we, we now have peace with God through the blood of the Lamb. That, that by our being united to Him or connected to Jesus, we have, as this text says, eternal salvation. Now, now you're probably like me. You, you look at that and go, um, 
so what? I mean, why does that matter? What's, okay, so, so he, he fulfilled his appointment. Okay. End of the month, so tomorrow at work's going to be really busy. We close out last month, and, and we've got a ton of stuff coming on. I, I, what, who, why does it matter? Well, I think the author wants us to see that the that, that reason it matters is since Christ has fulfilled his appointment, right? We can have confidence that he understands and he's with us amid the difficulties of our own obedience. And that's what we see in the text, right? It's because his appointment, that he's fulfilled the appointment, right? That he's satisfied the requirements that God required, that God had for perfect obedience and sinlessness as we've sung and prayed about, that, man, I've, I can have confidence that he, he understands and is with me in my own difficulties. Why do I say that? I want you to see how the, the author goes into verse 7. We see this, that, that he understands and is with us in, in our difficulties um, because he knows what it is to struggle through unfulfilled prayer. I didn't say um, unanswered prayer. Uh, I want you to look at verse 7. It says, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reference. Hebrews 7 is recounting Jesus' experience in the Garden of Gethsemane. So this week, if you want, go and turn to Matthew 26 and read verses 36 to 46. Go to Mark 14 and look at verses 32 to 42. Go to Luke 22 and see how he recounts Jesus there, verses 39 to 46. The author of Hebrews doesn't want you and I to miss it. Look, that Jesus experienced and felt anguish in his soul he prayed about something that he did not want to happen now some of you are thinking but but didn't he go to the cross um willingly he did go to the cross willingly and he also prayed take this cup from me mark tells us that he was in great distress his soul was in great distress we read that he he was he was praying and in such distress, right? He sweat drops of blood. Luke tells us that he was in such great distress that the Father sent angels to comfort him. See, our great eternal high priest, he knows what it feels like to pray and pray and pray and feel the distress and the anguish of soul and the grief of, Lord, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. Now, he understood. So he's not like us in that way. But this is one of those mysteries of the incarnation. He set aside his omniscience, his, his omnipotence, 
and said, Lord, may this cup, if there's any way, may this cup pass me by. That was his prayer. It wasn't unanswered. It was unfulfilled. The Lord answered it. He just answered it in a different way than Jesus prayed. This is, I, I miss this a lot of times. I miss this, that, that he knows what it's like to pray an unfulfilled prayer. But the end of this verse teaches me something else. It says, and he was heard because of his reverence. ESV, there's a little study note. It says, Jesus' piety formed the basis for his prayers being answered. And now he stands to intercede for and help every Christian. Jesus is heard because of his obedience. And you and I now are heard because of his obedience. You know, in our day, we talk about empathy and sympathy, and there's a difference, and, uh, and I'm not sure whether that was the case. You know, for centuries, folks have talked about Jesus being the sympathetic high priest, and I think that we, what we mean by that is probably what in our, today, in our day we talk about is empathy, right? That he entered in, he understands, right? He took on flesh and dwelt among us. Um, and considered equality, you know, did not consider equality God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a man, right? Philippians 2. That, that he's empathetic. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, don't, please. Saints, recipients of this letter, don't be discouraged in your faith that he's with you. He understands he intercedes on your behalf. And when you feel like, man, this prayer goes unfulfilled, know that He is at work comforting you. He is at work interceding for you as our perfect, eternal High Priest. But it's not just that, that He understands that, that difficulty, right? The, the, the challenge, as it were, for us in our prayers he, Jesus knows the difficulty and the struggle of obedience. Now, at this point, some of you are thinking, I thought he was perfect. He, he not just was perfect, he, he is perfect, right? Don't put Jesus in the past tense. <laughs> he's alive and well, and he's still obedient. I loved a couple weeks ago, it was when Essen reminded us of the significance that Jesus is actually in bodily flesh in heaven. And in this passage, we're reminded that, that there is this aspect where, where Jesus in His own earthly life and ministry understands the struggle of obedience. The text tells us that He has obedience through suffering. Now you're thinking, what on earth does that mean? F.F. Bruce captures this really well when he says this. He says, The suffering which Jesus endured were, were the necessary price of his obedience. More than that, they were part and parcel of his obedience, the very means by which he fulfilled the will of God. 
what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus was perfected in his and through his suffering. It made him not more obedient, but, but as he lived, he fulfilled more of the Father's will for his life and for the Father's world. Another scholar made it, said this point, he says, Said this, uh, said it this way. Jesus wasn't disobedient, and even though he was the eternal Son, he had no need of obedience or of suffering. But to say that he learned obedience doesn't mean that previously he was rebellious or disobedient. For such an idea cannot be applied to to God. This is the difference between innocence and virtue. Innocence is life untested, while virtue is innocence tested and triumphant. What the author of Hebrews wants us to get is that Jesus has been tested and is triumphant. And that that is the way of, for every one of his disciples. It is the call to, as it were, obedience through suffering. Now, I have the privilege to, to um, do some teaching at RTS in Atlanta, and, and the joke is that I'm, I'm just um, the wet blanket in every class that I teach, because um, I teach uh, 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 joint teach a class on pastoral ministry and one on leadership and discipleship. And I'm regularly the one saying, um, hey, uh, there's an old far side, you I date myself, I know, but there's an old far side where there's two deer that are standing next to each other, if you remember this far side, and uh, one of the deer is standing there, and he has a bullseye on his chest in, this, in a big white spot, and the other one looks at him and says, man, that's a bummer of a birthmark, Hal. And, um, and, and there's this sense in which, right, um, that if, you have, have you, if you've trusted in Christ, you just need to know that this side of heaven, there's going to be suffering in this process. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm the one who always saying, hey, hey, suffering is part of the, part of the package. Uh, Martin Luther uh, is, is known for saying, right, there are three things that make a disciple. Prayer, study of the Word, and suffering. And only one comes directly from the hand of God. Now, you're thinking... This is not why I came to Tab this morning. I mean, I, I didn't get a, a, a quick quiz uh, like I did a couple weeks ago, but I did not come to hear that, buck up, it's going to get worse. Um, but the hope in this is, is that Jesus understands our suffering. And He actually entered into our suffering that we might experience a day that we won't suffer again. And this is the other part. This obedience through suffering um, makes us right perfect. Look, look what the text says. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source. Ed, what do you mean? So Jesus is imperfect? No. Just like Jesus isn't disobedient. He's not imperfect. What the author of Hebrews wants us to understand is 
do you see that Jesus, when he resolutely set his face, face towards Jerusalem, that was simply the natural outworking of a man perfectly fixed on fulfilling the Father's will. And that will wasn't fully mature or, or fully perfect until He accomplished it, right? So it's not that Jesus was imperfect, but rather He was, um, it, it is as though uh, He is made mature or he, he fulfills the will of God which becomes mature. Let me just make a couple applications for you and for me. What, what does that mean? And then I'll close. I think um, it gives us hope amid our suffering. First, um, because, because Jesus is with us in it. He's gone before us. We're not blazing a new trail. We are not... Um, a, a, a pioneer. He has gone before us in suffering. So much so that He experienced on the cross the cry, my God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? We follow a Savior who is the Psalm 22 Savior who cried out, take this cup from Me, but not My will, Thine be done, and then endured the betrayal of a friend by a kiss and the abandonment of his other close friends, nowhere to be found, so afraid of being associated with him that they would rather run through the night naked than be identified with Jesus. And then a sham of a trial, abandonment of any kind of good legal process, the mocking words of Roman soldiers, a thorn of crowns, a flogging by the tail of 39, and then that awful, excruciating walk to Golgotha. Only eclipsed by the nails in his hand and his feet and being raised above the crowds, and then being abandoned by His Father in heaven, and all of the wrath of God, the eternal wrath of God, culminated in three days as He suffered. Died on the cross, in the tomb, and then guess what? That unfulfilled prayer, right? Deliver me from death. His father did, <laughs> but after three days in the grave. He, he took all that wrath that you and I might not suffer in vain. Because it tells us in this passage, he's using our suffering to make us perfect. To make us like himself that we might manifest Him in the world. Do you see that, that we don't serve only a conquering King? We follow a suffering servant. 
So when we see brokenness in the world around us, we go, yes, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And there will be a day when it will be no longer. And I long for that day. I long for that day for Chad Scruggs, a friend of mine who lost his daughter. I long for that day. Yes. I don't understand. I can't explain. I'm not even going to try. Lord, give us grace to be like Job's friends in the first seven days of their counsel where they said nothing and weep in our own suffering. Go, Lord, I, I, I know, I know that you understand you're with me in my suffering. And you've given purpose and meaning to my suffering because there will be a day where I suffer no more. May you use it to my perfecting now. I've been pretty quiet about one other point in this passage that is significant. You know, if you're appointed as an executor, at some point, that estate is settled and you're no longer the executor. There's nothing left to settle. This passage tells us that Jesus is the eternal king and the eternal priest. <laughs> See, he couldn't have absorbed the eternal wrath on the cross unless he was a, a, an eternal priest. And, and he couldn't have dominion over all of creation and you and me and our lives and, and our wills unless he's the eternal king. And the hope, the text is this, in verse 10, or verse 9, when he says, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Because he suffered the eternal wrath of God, for those who are in, are in him, we won't ever suffer that. Because he has fulfilled the appointment given to him by God, we now can pursue obedience confident that when we fail, our perfect high priest is interceding for us and the Father sees us through him when we struggle and fight to be obedient, we're reminded that He's the eternal King who loves us and has given Himself for us. So my efforts and obedience are not my own strength. But I'm tapping in to His obedience for me that I might manifest Him to the world that they might experience the eternal salvation that He has given to His people. Oh, friends, does it matter that He fulfilled the appointment? It most certainly does. <laughs> because He knows the struggles of this life, whatever yours may be. And He endured that suffering to make it possible to one day Rid not just you and me, 
all of creation from the suffering and the pain and the loss that was brought into the world when the relationship was broken and sin flooded in and wreaked havoc on you and me. He fulfilled the appointment. He's the eternal king. He's the eternal priest. And so it is certain to be accomplished. It will be fulfilled. His kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you suffered, that you didn't have to suffer, uh, but that you suffered in order to reconcile us to yourself and that in doing so, you, you're a great high priest who, who understands and knows our sufferings and feels our pains. But Father, you, you've done it as the eternal king and priest who now makes a way for us that even in our suffering and in our wrestling, we can be confident that you understand that you're present and that you are still interceding for us that we might be made obedient and we might be perfected through the finished work of Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name.